And the rest of us here, we're going to be continuing our sermon study, uh, looking at the four different themes of Advent. And what we've been focusing primarily is, is looking at some voids in our life and how these four themes of Advent sort of fulfill some of the emptiness and void and pain that we go through in life. And this morning, we're in the third week of Advent, and we're looking at the theme of peace, how God fills us with his peace. Now, here we are, the middle of December 2021, and this year is just about over. And who is excited for that? <laughs> I mean, we thought 2020 was bad, and then 2021 came along and sort of just kept that going. And so we're praying, we're hoping 2022 is going to be different, but in most likelihood, it's probably not going to be. We're still going to have to go through a world of chaos and pain and hardship. And I know this past year has been so heavy for so many of us. And even as the Christmas season comes and we have the bright lights and we, we have these fun-filled traditions and we have these decorated houses and we have all this good food around us, there is still hurt and pain and sorrow and despair, isn't there? There's still deep voids in our life that cause pain. And this year, along with 2020, has been incredibly disruptive and absolutely life-altering. And yet today we come and we talk about peace. We talk about peace. And peace for many of us has almost seemed elusive lately. Peace has seemed distant from our experiences and hard to come by from our circumstances, and, and many of us had to fight for it or work for it or seek after it just to have a glimpse of peace. And this peaceful feeling, this soul at rest, this longing we all have is probably one of the most important things we could long for in life and probably one of the greatest gifts we could ever want even in this Christmas season. And I even ask you this morning, who here this morning is just longing for more peace in their life? It's a longing we have. It's something we desire. It's something we, we seek after. And so I, I want to talk today about, well, first of all, what is peace? What are we talking about when we talk about peace? And secondly, how do we actually get to experience this peace? How do we know peace? How do we even find peace? And so when we look at peace throughout Scripture... It's a very common English word, uh, but the Hebrew word for peace, I've, I've taught this before, is, does anyone remember? Shalom, right? This concept of shalom. And, and when we talk about shalom, it's this very important word in Scripture that runs not only through the Old Testament, but into the New Testament. And the New Testament word for peace is, does anyone know? Greek, irene, okay? So shalom and irene, is, that's the major language of peace throughout Scripture. And this is a theme that comes up over 550 times in Scripture. It's this massive thread throughout the story of God. And the Bible re repeatedly tells us that shalom, peace, comes from God himself. It's a gift of God, and it's actually the cause of human flourishing. And so the basic meaning of shalom is restoration of relationship. 
And so the Bible usually talks about four major relationships we have. We have a relationship with God, we have a relationship with ourselves, we have a relationship with others, and we have a relationship with creation. And shalom, this peace, is when all those relationships are restored. When all those relationships are whole and complete, right? And the idea is that life is absolutely complicated and complex, amen? Life is absolutely chaotic and complex, and we face all these things. Life is full of all these moving parts in relationship and situations. And when any of those things is out of alignment or not functioning the way that should be, the Bible talks about how we're not experiencing shalom in them. And there needs to be restoration there. And so to bring shalom then, to experience shalom, literally means to make complete or restore. It's an order that brings harmony and security. It brings completeness and justice and wholeness. Uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor out of New York, he defines shalom like this. He says, it's multidimensional, complete well-being. Physical psychological, social, and spiritual. It flows from all of one's relationships being put right with God, with oneself, and with others. And so there's tons of illustrations of that throughout the story of God. There's tons of these glimpses of what shalom looks like. And, and what we see is, is stories like Job, and when Job says he experiences shalom, it's when all his tents are in order. And what he said is, all my tents are in order and all my flocks and animals have been counted and none of them are missing, right? Now, for all you farmers and people that have animals, when you lose them and they run off your property, it's chaos, isn't it? Right? It's the opposite of shalom, right? Not only do they escape, they're running away. Now you got to go find them. It disrupts everything. It disrupts your plans. It disrupts your days. It disrupts you financially if you don't find them, right? And so everything is out of order. Everything is out of chaos. In chaos. And so Job is saying, when my animals are simply in the, the yard, everything is at peace. Everything's the way it should be. Now, the same goes for our human relationships with shalom. Uh, Proverbs 16.7 talks about how to reconcile with someone and to restore relationship is bringing shalom in that relationship. It's bringing a peace there. And, and even when, when rival kings in the Old Testament, um, when rival kings and nations not just stopped war, but they started working toward each other's benefits, that's what the Scripture calls shalom. When it's not just the absence of violence and conflict, but it's actually looking to other nations' interests. Another example is if an animal ever damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. And so in other words, the way that your animal or whatever, or their loss has been destructed or destroyed, you bring shalom by making things right financially with them. Um, there's other images for shalom in Scripture as well. Uh, shalom is referred to a, a wall that has no gaps or cracks. It's sort of a perfect wall. And for those of you who are in construction, you probably feel shalom when you see that as well. When you actually complete a project and it's done the exact way you want it to be, that is shalom, isn't it? 
a sense of well-being, a sense of completeness, a sense of this is the way it should be. And then Paul talks about because of what God has done, we are justified by faith and now we experience shalom with God, a peace with God. And so shalom then really becomes this aspect of God's peace fulfilling and restoring and making us complete in our relationships with him, our relationships with ourselves, our relationship with others, and our relationship with creation. This is what the vision for shalom truly is. Now, what's fascinating to me is that when we come into the season of Christmas, we come making a very bold declaration. We come saying that Jesus' arrival, Jesus coming in flesh to this world, was the exact arrival of shalom. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate the coming of peace. We celebrate the coming of shalom. I mean, even when Jesus came, the arrival of his birth was announced as peace. Jesus was to be peace, and Jesus even arised to fulfill the longings of peace throughout history. See, the prophet Isaiah looked forward to a future king who would bring shalom and The beautiful text that we see Isaiah prophesy before the coming of Christ is found in Isaiah 9. And let me read this passage for you. Mark already read it in our time of uh, Advent reading, but let's just reflect on it again. Isaiah prophesies this about the coming of the Messiah. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be what? No end. In other words, Jesus is going to bring in a peace that is eternal. A peace that is not based on circumstances, a peace that is not limited to some of the feelings we have as humans in this world. And so Jesus enters into this world as shalom. And, and Luke 2.14 says this too, and the angels are crying out glory to God in the highest, and then what happens? They say, peace on men with whom God is well pleased. And so the arrival of King Jesus is all about peace. Now what I find interesting as well is that when when Jesus enters into human history, he's entering into two different cultures. What are the two cultures that he's primarily entering into? Yeah, Roman and Jewish culture, right? And, And especially for the Jews of the Old Testament, they had a massive responsibility to be people of shalom. I mean, one of the responsibilities that the prophets continually over and over again in the Old Testament uh, speak out against the kings is that they were not bringing shalom to their people. They were not bringing priests. They were not bringing prosperity. They were bringing conflict and wickedness and evil. And the prophets over and over again said, you are supposed to be kings who establish peace among us, to establish shalom, and yet they fail over and over again. And so a lot of the Old Testament is just calling out the kings on not fulfilling peace. Now, what about the Roman culture? Was the Roman culture a culture of peace? 
No, not at all. But what's fascinating to me is when you look at the first century Rome, they had a slogan. They had a slogan called Pax Romana. Anyone ever heard of that? Pax Romana, what does that mean? Does he remember? Pax Romana is this, this concept that the peace of Rome. And so they were making this declaration that Rome was a, a place where you could find peace, you could find prosperity, you could be safe and secure. And yet, was that the reality of the kingdom at all? No. This Pax Romana sort of came in under Augustus, and he was an emperor who, who really tried to make this movement of, of Rome being a peaceful place. But even in this Pax Romana phase in the first century of Rome, we see um, tyrannical emperors still being killed by political rivals. We see Rome, Rome uh, brutally suppress revolts, especially the Judean revolt. We see Rome still continuing in its imperial conquests. Uh, we even have a historical document of a, a guy named uh, Calgacus, who was a Chalcedonian, and he said this about the Romans. Romans. He said, the Romans create a desolation and call it peace. <laughs> Fascinating. Now we look at that context that Jesus enters into, and I think we could ask the same question. Do we today as well feel that there's so many unfulfilled promises of peace? Does anyone sense that in our world? Does anyone sense that in our culture? Does anyone sense that in your life? Even though we follow Jesus, who's the Prince of Peace, we, we seem to have lost our bearing for the path to peace. And, and in Luke 19... Luke records Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. He's weeping over the people of Israel. And he says this to them. He says, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And I wonder if Jesus would say the same prayer for us today. If you only knew what would bring you peace in this life. See, let's, let's talk for a little bit here. Let's have a discussion time. Because what have you pursued in this life that if you felt I achieved this or I gained this or I got this, I would finally have that sense of peace in my life and the feelings of void would be gone? What are some things in your guys' life that you have pursued and you thought it would bring you this lasting peace and then you found out it was just temporal? Anything that you guys can think of? Yeah, promotion, right? Or, or even just an occupation. I remember for me as well, like I, had, I worked so many years in, in college and graduate studies to come to the point of being a pastor. And I was like, oh, sweet, I'm a pastor. My life is set. I'm made. I'll be at peace now. And does being a pastor create more peace in your life? <laughs> no. Chaos, right? <laughs> What are some other things we could think of? Yeah, marriage, right? As soon as I get married, I've been single for so long. As soon as I get married and I meet that perfect person and we have a life together and things are going to be perfect and great, then I'll finally find that peace and satisfaction that I've been longing for for so long. And yet, for all of us that are married, does peace come with marriage? 
<laughs> no. And many times more chaos and conflict, if we're honest, right? And so marriage, too, it doesn't last. It doesn't give us peace. What are some other things we could think of? Yeah, wealth, some sort of financial security. If I make this amount of money, then I'll be safe, I'll be secure, I'll have peace in my life, I don't have to worry about anything, I don't have to be anxious about anything. Money will make all things better, right? And yet what we hear countless times from all the richest people in the world and all the famous people is they say, I've been there, it doesn't work, right? What are some other things? Yeah, learning how to let go of the past even. We, we think that the past has such a heavy weight on us that we could never find peace and we feel that continuing through our life to the point where it almost feels hopeless at times. Will we actually find peace with what we've been through? Yeah. Yeah, children. I mean, we can say that in this room, right? Doesn't mean we don't like our kids, but that's, that's a very big point, right? Uh, Rebecca and I went through the same thing. We, we longed for children. We tried, we tried for children for so long. We finally received children. We're like, oh, our prayers have been answered. There's going to be all this peace in our life. We're going to be, so, right? And what does children bring? I mean, if children could be the definition of chaos, right? Of hardship and conflict. And so there's all these things in our life that we, we long for and we, we put our efforts and our energy and our time and our thoughts to when we say, this is what is finally going to bring me peace in life. And yet each and every one of those things, even if they are good, fail us. They fail us. Chaos still comes. Hardship still comes. Peace still comes. Or pain still comes. And so how do we find peace then? If Jesus is, is making such bold claims that he is peace and that he will bring peace and that he's actually going to give us a peace, as Paul says, that goes beyond our understanding even. In other words, a peace that we can't even comprehend. How do we begin to actually live in that peace and know that peace and experience that peace when the world is full of chaos? And here's my proposal for you today. Here's what I believe God is teaching us through the theme of peace throughout Scripture. Is that when we come to know Jesus as our peace, it changes our life. Anyone testify to that? Amen to that? When we know Jesus as our peace, it transforms our life. Absolutely. Why? Because in Jesus, not only do we experience peace with God, Jesus also says we get to experience the peace of God. It's a beautiful reality. Why is this happening? Why, why do we get to experience peace with God and the peace of God? Why? Because Jesus established this sustaining this eternal peace for us, not a temporal peace, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. We experience the peace of God when we have peace with God. And we have peace with God through the work of Jesus on the cross. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus died in our place. Amen? Amen. 
Jesus died instead of us. That's what we call the gospel. Jesus' death and resurrection fully paid for our sins' debt that we owe to God. And God treated Jesus on the cross as if Jesus lived our lives so that God could treat you and me as if we lived the perfect life of Jesus. Now, could we live the perfect life of Jesus on our own? No, we're hopeless. And yet God has made a way. And this means that Jesus has established this peace for us. It becomes this gift. It's not something that we have to seek and obtain. It's not something we have to pursue in our life and just long for. It's a gift that has been given to us by God. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples, and this is what he says to us. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you do I give. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so if peace is something that God gives to us, can it be taken away from us? Can it be changed by circumstances? Can it be changed by feelings we're having? No, it becomes this objective reality in our life, this gift that we receive in God. Now we have a peace that is beyond understanding. And Jesus says he gives us something in this world that that nothing else in this world can give us. Lasting, sustaining peace beyond feelings, beyond circumstances, And that means that in Jesus, we get to experience this peace, not just as an emotion, but this lasting condition of the heart. We get the very peace of God. A peace that is a deep and abiding assurance that God is true, that he is with us, and that he will make all things work together for good to those who love him. A peace that God started a good work in us and will be faithful to complete it until Christ's return. A peace that is found purely in the gospel. And this peace becomes a resource for us. Because when we go through this life of pain and hardship and turmoil and despair and chaos, we need something, don't we? We're helpless on our own. And it gives us a peace of comfort and consolation, a peace that helps us deal with life and the hardship it brings, and a peace that surpasses any circumstance. And here's the beautiful thing about peace. Let's just ponder for a second what God has done to give us this peace. Just ponder for a second. Just think about what God has done to bring us peace. We see not only in the Christmas story that God willingly enters into this world of evil and suffering. He suffers with us and for us. We see God entering into this world, taking on human flesh, And the incarnation of God happens at a time and place in history where life was very hard. And we see God coming, especially in the culture, not as a Roman, but a Jew under oppression. Think about that. Jesus chose not to enter this world as a powerful Roman emperor, but as an oppressed Jew. 
Not only that, Jesus Christ submits his life to the cross and faces injustice and faces evil and faces death from the very people that he loves. And so there's something in the Christmas story. There's something in the story of Jesus that tells us time and time again that God is not a God who runs away from the chaos of this world. God is not a God who runs away from our pain and suffering. Rather, what we see is God entering into that pain and suffering, entering into that injustice and walking through it for us and with us. And most importantly, God does something in it. He gives us peace. So let me ask you, Do you know the God of peace in your life? Do you experience the God of peace in your life? We live in a world where people are desperate to experience the peace that only God can offer. We are broken. We are longing for healing and wholeness. We are longing for shalom in our life and a world of of chaos and strife and hardship and pain and fractured relationships all across the board. We, We long for shalom. And yet it's only satisfied in knowing God. And so I want to I read some words of peace over you. So I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads for a minute. And I just want you to hear these words of peace because so often when we look to our circumstances, when we examine our feelings, we feel so absent and distant from peace. We feel as though it's not attainable. We feel everything has to be perfect, and yet we realize that will never come in this life. But there is good news. There's words of peace for you, and it's found in the gospel. And the words of peace in your life is that there is a God who loves you, and you are made in his image. You are made with value, and dignity. Your value is unchanging in his eyes. God is perfect in his love towards you. God is reconciling and rescuing the world towards himself through Jesus. And God will never leave you nor forsake you. God is faithful. God is good. God is loving. God is merciful. God has a purpose and meaning for your life. God can take the evil you have experienced and turn it to good. God can take the evil you have done and restore you and transform you for good. God offers forgiveness in Christ for your sin. God entered into this world of evil and injustice and Jesus took on human flesh just to be rejected and killed so that you could know his peace. And so whatever feelings you may have and whatever experiences you may be going through, nothing can take away the good news that I have just told you. Nothing can steal the peace that comes through knowing this to be true. If the Christmas story didn't happen, if God really didn't become human, 
then the peace we could talk about as Christmas is only temporary. And the suffering and fracture of this world is permanent. But if Christmas really happened and God really became a human being and he really broke into this world to redeem us and to bring shalom, the suffering and pain of this world is temporary and the peace of God in this life and the next is permanent. Amen, church? Amen.